Warning, this podcast has stories of real-life events and true crime that happens every day. These stories may contain adult language and graphic or disturbing details not suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In our society, most people are content to go through their daily lives safely and peacefully. But our society is not always safe or peaceful. For that reason... Some men and women answer a higher calling to defend and protect their fellow man. You probably know someone who is one of these people, or maybe you are one of these people. The ones who see and do the things most people would never want to. These things are sometimes heroic and beautiful, but often they are horrific and terrifying. It's these things they don't share about with other people. It's these things they carry with them, so you don't have to. But when they get together, they talk to each other about them. And they call these stories War Stories. Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, we are back after our little break we took. It was a nice break. Yeah, it was, uh, it was well needed. Um, <laughs> it was nice not to be able to open up... Uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook constantly and posting and, and uh, it was nice not to have to open a lot of emails. Um, I was still looking at them, but you know, there's still a bunch I haven't opened. Um, so I will be getting back to people who have emailed and haven't heard anything back. I haven't forgot about you. I just, I wanted a break. We, we took the, yeah. we took Christmas off. <laughs> yeah. So, and now back to the real world, back to the real world, back, I, back to our guest and Chuck, who did you have for us as a guest this week? So we got Garrett. Garrett here uh, wrote wrote to us, um, and he heard us talking about you know uh, stuff on on here regarding young men and women in first response. And he he decided to write in, and he for a young man, this kid has got a lot of experience. He uh, at seventeen years old started in uh firefighting as a volunteer then he went into um wildland and worked all the way up into california and he's a western guy uh if i'm not mistaken and he's worked in wildland and then went and started working at another uh firehouse and and then became a police officer and then i guess served both as a police officer and a firefighter not to mention has a girlfriend on the job who has experienced the same calls at the same time that he experienced and he has come on today to explain his experience how it's affected him and and go through it with that and i i've never met a dynamic like that who you actually have someone a significant other that you spend a lot of time with has gone through the same shit that you have gone through I thought that was pretty cool. Not to mention, I've only met one other person in my life that has been a firefighter police officer at the same exact time. And so this is like a fucking unicorn, people. And it's awesome. I was a goddamn overachiever. Welcome to the show, Garrett. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You're trying to make us all look bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> Far from it. Yeah, I was shit. I didn't become a cop till I was in my early 20s. You're fighting fires at 17. How are you, Garrett? Nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How how do you get involved in firefighting at 17? How how did this all come about? Give us your background. So basically, I grew up in a real small town. Um, my I got 
my best friend now, he's a fire captain at the department that I was at. Uh, he was a senior in high school and he was a part of the fire department and he was just starting out and hanging out with him, man, um, going to the firehouse. I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, so after that, I, uh, after I got old enough, I applied, got on a small department. Um, how small did that do what? How small? Uh, we had 20, we had 21 guys that were volunteer and two full-time guys. Wow. Uh, we have, we averaged probably three to 400 calls a year. Um, the full-time guys, they were, uh, Monday through Friday, like seven to seven to three, seven to four. And, uh, but we were actually, all the volunteer guys were actually paid by call. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Depending on what kind of call it was, your money how much money you got i guess right um, right nothing so there, i mean it wasn't crazy it wasn't like a flat rate it was like if you have a dismembered body you get paid x amount if you have a cat in the tree you don't get paid that much pretty 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 much That's is that how it is okay. yeah it was it's pretty close based on the call uh different calls is different amounts you know um, that's that's crazy tom tom and i have spoken to a bunch of volunteer firefighters and this is the first time we have heard that it's a per call pay basis. Like you get paid per call and the type of call differs the pay. So yeah. is it like, like Christmas time and everybody's like, come on, fatal traffic collision. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, when I was there, I really didn't pay too much attention about it. I mean, they, they would send us all direct deposit and I, I mean, I, I never really looked at it, so I never knew how much I got or I, I never really cared. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about it at all. True I mean, hero right there. There you go. I mean, it was it was all just. Um, yeah, like, you know, we could go up at the station and hang out with the two full time guys. If a run comes in, we'd hop in and go. Um, you know, if there was a if EMS had a had a medical come in, you know, you're low blood sugar or whatever the full-time guys would uh would go on it uh to assist the ambulance and then you know if we were up there we could go with them or we didn't have to go or but if they toned us out you know for a wreck or a fire then oh yeah you show up and you're going so now after all of yeah oh go ahead chuck i was gonna say if you're just at the station hanging out and you're like all right i'm on the clock i'm ready to rock and roll do you get paid for that or only if you get toned out on a call just just if we go out on a run right that's that's kind of the quote-unquote volunteer part you're not an employee you're almost like a contract firefighter as opposed to a volunteer firefighter they said that they had us working so if we were on a fire run or doing something with the fire department we got hurt we were covered under their under the city's insurance sure yes because you were under contract with them now I, I love those guys up there at that department, man. They were straightforward. The chief, he was a great guy. My buddy, he's a captain now. I mean, I, I wouldn't be in the fire service if it wasn't for him. Uh, I did. I look up to him still today. He's one so of my best. Is he the friends. one who got you in it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, he got me into it. Um, and those guys were straightforward. They, whenever the knowledge up there between the department is just crazy. I mean, my chief, he was, um, 
my chief worked in the oil field. He was also a fire instructor for the fire service here in Oklahoma. I mean, there's tons of knowledge up there. And, you know, when those bad calls came in, you know, there wasn't a doubt in my mind that we could get our job done and do it right. You just knew you had good people. I knew I had good people and I know I didn't have to look over my back. You and know, so, yeah. So how did that, um, how long did you do that? And how, when did that transition? Cause that, you started that at 17, man, that's crazy young. Did you go to the Academy? So, so I started at seven, I started in their junior program at 17. Um, had a minor setback for a little bit. And then I was like, man, okay, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And I uh, went down to uh, Teeks Fire Training down at Texas A&M. Sure. Best place I've ever been. All those guys there, they're top notch. I mean, there's three guys that I know that they run their own training company. And I I follow them on Facebook. And it has nonstop just knowledge and knowledge about the fire service, everything that you can imagine. Sure. Um, so I did that. took me about took me three months i believe to do that um and then i went home looking for a full-time fire job uh got offered a job in the wildland business so i I only did that for about a year and a half it wasn't very long at all um i loved it but i was living in a shop with like 23 other guys yeah it was right i mean i hate to say it but we had to go make make buddy buddy with the planet fitness girls so we could go and shower and for free hey, <laughs> smart didn't have to go first to of all stuff. they're cute second of all they're gym rats <laughs> and third everybody needs a clean well, shower uh, exactly fitness yeah. gives out pizzas on like fridays or something uh they didn't in idaho i know that for a fact Oh, is, is that Planet Maybe Fitness or Pizza Planet, Chuck? I'm not- <laughs> no, seriously, Planet <laughs> Fitness gives has like donuts one day, pizza one day. Yeah, for their sure. members. <laughs> I swear to God, that's a hell of a gym. Like, I swear, you dude, keep you fat, so you up. keep coming. <laughs> At least in California, they do. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I worked up in uh, my my main base was in Rigby, Idaho. Whenever I was working up there, uh, oh okay, did, did a lot of work with um, the Hell Attack crews um did a lot of work with them that that was really fun uh but i kind of i i loved fighting fire like that and traveling but my real focus was back at home on the department that i wanted to be on and and where so was I, that if you don't um, mind far in northwest oklahoma ah okay northwest oklahoma yeah because you don't you're, you don't sound like you have an idaho accent i haven't been up here long no but I, I, no. I do not recognize that as any part of Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, I grew up in, like, we're at the beginning of what they call no man's land. Ah, okay. So it, the fun part. It, then. <laughs> it's, it's a rural part of Oklahoma. Yeah. And we're, we're two and a half hours from the nearest big city. Uh, the nearest Walmart, actually. Well, the town I'm living in now, uh, I got a Walmart like down the road, but my hometown where I was a fireman in, um, the nearest Walmart was an hour, 45 minutes. Wow. So you do an, 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 a year and a half as a wildland firefighter, which, you know, that's a hard job. Anyway, I've got a relative who is trying to get into 
or onto a, a municipal fire department or a state fire department, something like that. But he started out like a lot of them, you know, as a wildland mm-hmm. firefighter. And it's, that's a tough gig, man, especially when then big fires kick off and you're there for a month and, you know, all that. Kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. We had dispatchers that we loaned out to wildland firefighting operations and they'd be gone two or three weeks, but they'd make that money. <clears throat> Cutting lines with a hoe? Yeah. Or a shovel? Well, I was, I was actually a part of the engine crew. So I wasn't a, I wasn't a, on the hand crew. I was on the uh, engine crew. So they call them engine slugs, but I mean, I liked, I liked it. You were out Fancy. there fighting fire. So, you know, hey, whatever. But I figure it. But, so a year and a half um, at doing that. And then where do you go? So I actually came back home uh, mm-hmm. to go full-time fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, by this time, it is almost the start of the COVID pandemic. And how old uh, are you? I'm 20. I'm 22 right now, getting ready to turn 23 in a couple Damn. about three weeks. Jeez. So this you're about 20 years old when you go home to be a firefighter? Is that 21? So yeah, it started at seventeen. When by the time I get home, uh, it was about I was about nineteen because I, I left as soon as I graduated. As soon as yeah. I graduated, I was you know everybody stays home. I stayed home for like six months and I was gone. Right. Uh, so I come home and spent uh, three years in my hometown that I went to high school uh, on the volunteer fire department with the the two guys, the two full time guys that I've been talking about. Sure. And not a bad, not a bad thing about any of those guys up there. The whole county. I mean, we had a lot of stuff happen, a lot of wildfires, a lot of big wildfires. Um, and they're straightforward guys. I mean, they would drop what they're doing, no matter how far away they needed to come for a call. They would be there. Right. Amazing. And right. Uh, our, our, the <clears throat> department that I was a part of, we were pretty blessed because we had some, uh, full-time guys for um like oklahoma city on our department that were that were full-time firemen at that location in oklahoma city and they also were a volunteer on the on our small town department right wow so now that takes you to about 20 years old where you dis where you become a municipal firefighter full-time so i was in the process i i had my application in at four different departments um, and then COVID started and mm-hmm. it halted and freezed everything. Oh yeah. Um, so probably a couple of months into the, into COVID, I, uh, started calling and checking in and these places are like, no, we're stopping. We're not hiring. Um, even when we do hire your application, you got to reapply. You got to go back through that's, the physical agility test. And I'm that's like, some bullshit I've done right it. there. Damn. I've already done. I've already done it and passed it. And, um, that's actually where my law enforcement starts. Um, when I was 21, I was approached by a by a by a buddy, and he asked me if I wanted to be a police officer uh, because I had been talking about trying to be a full time fireman and in the future when I'm older to be a state fire marshal ah. for the state, whenever I get all my experience and stuff. And so I checked into it and they actually prefer in the state of Oklahoma that you be um, a certified law enforcement officer. Sure. Okay. Wow. That makes sense. That's, I mean, I, I know our arson investigators had to get certified 
as police officers or peace officers, not police, but they had peace officer powers because mm-hmm. besides oh. just, you know, <clears throat> arson investigators, they would go out and conduct investigations, write reports and arrest bad guys. Ours, yeah. All ours had to do was go through like a detective uh, course, get certified with firearms, and then they'd be good to go for their agencies, um, specific agencies, um, uh, arson investigators, and we would still handle the arrest and the booking, and they would type the report, and it was very rarely that they ever arrested anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even when you had someone in custody, dude. <laughs> I was like, "Come on, man!" They're like, "No, man!" I am start the fire. I'm like, "He was no." I, when I was doing tactical training for the state of California, uh, I, we would do an advanced officer safety course, um, and uh, a couple of our firefighters that I knew personally went through that course, you know, to practice their tactics and stuff like that. And I was proud of them. You know, they they're up. They're a couple of firefighters out there with a bunch of you know Type A cops, and they were keeping up and you know cycling their weapons and using tactics mm-hmm. and stuff. So. You know, some departments, every department does it differently. Uh, when I, I went through my peace officer training, my first eight weeks were totally online. Right. My law block, ethics block, everything was online. Yeah, it that's stuck. crazy. I, yeah, it's uh, I hate I hated every part of it. And then the then the final eight weeks was there. Um, it was in person, and it was it was constant. Um, we would uh monday was a travel day we were there tuesday wednesday thursday friday when we went home on friday um but it dragged on it was summertime doing all your firearms and and it was it was hot and miserable dang i I don't i don't miss that that's crazy you said the first eight weeks was online yep and then the last eight weeks was in person yep is that standard for law enforcement training out in Oklahoma or was it different and altered was, due to COVID? It was altered due to COVID. Holy shit. Yep. Man, that, that would have been awesome to be like the uh, first like three months. First eight weeks, uh, the academy. We're in undies. I hate sitting at home. And so like of my days that I had, it was just uh, they had a bunch of pre-recorded videos for us to watch mm-hmm. i would watch some of them the night before that way i could go into work as a police officer and work and work on the streets as i'm doing my presentations so Holy i can sh- so i can go out and just do something because I, I, wait, I, wait, I'm, wait. Not, I'm not going to sit at home garrett hold on so you were working on the streets as a peace officer while in the academy yeah tom For remember who? when i had remember when i had my pops on yeah he was like i started and i was in the field yep. and then they sent me to the academy i know to the, the la county sheriff's academy i know and i told you That's i worked crazy. with a guy who did the same thing yep it, yeah, it, so, it um, boggles my mind i i completed my fto phase with my my patrol sergeant which was a great guy and then my second half, which I'll get into it here in a little here, here in a little bit, uh, my main story. But my chief, uh uh-uh. uh. Nope. I very much dislike that man. I was, <laughs> Tell us how you it really was, feel. It was it was it was a rough time. It was my sergeant, which was my buddy. And uh yeah, he he made he he made me pull through. 
So, I'm so now really is this aggressive. standard for the cops in that area? So pretty much, pretty much. Um, so the way that it worked before COVID, you could be a police officer for six months before you had to be certified. Holy so within oh that, my god! So within, so you could work as a police officer, but within that six months, you had to be enrolled in the peace officer program. Uh, whenever COVID hit, they upped that to a year because it backed everybody up and nobody had, and they were just so overwhelmed with so many people wanting to go to the Peace Officer Academy that they had to up it to a year because they were losing people because people were starting to quit. Now, here's the thing. I'll, I'll give John as an example. All the audience knows John. John is in the middle of doing his third FTO program. God bless him. Uh, now that he's here in Idaho. And it's a short program because he's a lateral and he's got, he didn't have to go to the police academy. He's got a year, I think, to get his certification from the state of Idaho while he's working. Understandable when you have 10 years of law enforcement experience behind your back and then years of military experience prior to that. The idea that you would be working for six months. Now, granted, you're with a partner. They're not, they're not sending you out into the world alone in a patrol car, right? Right, right. Okay. I always before I went to my peace officer training, I always had somebody on shift with me. Now, once I com- once I completed my FTO phase, I was in my own unit by myself, but I always had somebody with me. There was it's always just, somebody close by. You had a sister car; they would back you up. Yeah, right. Basically, right, but that was after the academy. That was after. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So after, so, so, I, after okay. I went to the after I went to the academy, I was I was working the town I was a police officer in is a one police officer town. So it was oh, wow. just me. It was just me by myself. But my sergeant was there, so he was he would always come out if I needed something. Um, my corporal, he was a uh, he was a full time shift supervisor for a private EMS company down by the city. And he was a great guy. He was a DRE. He was an instructor for everything. Uh, so he would always lend a hand. Um, but the county, they always had two to three deputies on. So if something was going down and I need somebody right then and there, I could always count on those guys. But Man. for the mo- for the most part, it was me by myself. Now, I won't, I'll say this. That isn't the craziest story of uh rural area way out in the boonies police work i've ever heard i recently this year spoke to a deputy who is in such a rural area of a state local to mine and i'm going to try and get him on the show but he was helping his buddy pour cement on his property while he was off duty but on call Mm -hmm. when a call came in and he got dispatched to it so he drove the cement truck to the call and <laughs> borrowed a gun from his buddy. Holy shit. That's some Western yes. shit right there. <laughs> so there, uh, any cop or, or firefighter that tells you, no, this is how everyone does it is full of shit because everybody does it differently. And that, in some ways that's good. Some ways that's bad. You have to adjust to the area you're in. If you, you said you're two and a half hours from a, 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 you were two and a half hours from a Walmart in the town where you grew up. I can only imagine the, the, the population must've been nothing. 
So my hometown, I believe, was about was about um thirteen, fourteen hundred people. Yeah, we had wait. Now we had a local grocery store, and we had two Mexican restaurants, a Sonic, a Taco Mayo, and a bowling alley. And we had three gas stations. You should still have at least three cops on at a shift, or at least two. But that's so, not that's not crazy because there are there's parts of California including Los Angeles, where mm. one, if you do the math, one police officer is in charge of over a hundred thousand. Yeah. Citizens. Oh, but I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, but I, I mean, you're talking about a hundred thousand people being stacked into a, you know, couple of square miles. Yeah. So now yeah. I was a fi- where I was a policeman at, I was, um, about 30 miles. I was about 30, 35 miles south of the town. I was a fireman in. Wow. So now you are a full-time police officer, is that it? Yes. And yep. you have been for how long? So I've been fully certified since um, September. Okay. Well, welcome 21. to the dark side. <laughs> but I've I've been, uh, I started my law enforcement in December of 2020. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, the floor is yours, my man. What is your story? Uh, so my main story is... Um, so when I was a police officer, uh, my shift was, my long week was Monday, Tuesday off, Wednesday, Thursday on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, 12 hour shifts. Um, and then when I was not being a police officer, I was back in my hometown where I lived, um, about 30, 35 miles away from where I was a cop at. And I was a fireman basically when I wasn't on, uh, being a cop. So uh, I remember the, this day, uh, my girlfriend, she's, <laughs> she deals with a lot, especially with me. Um, she applied to be a, an emergency dispatcher for the county I was a fireman in. And so she was a full-time dispatcher while I'm doing fire and police at the same time. So she's starting to, so she knows what I'm doing basically uh, when I'm on the fire on the fire department. Yeah. There's um, no cheating. No. So this, uh, <laughs> these three days, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, when I was a police officer, um, three of the most terrible days I've had, uh, hands down. Um, the first on Friday, uh, it was just kind of a, kind of a slow day. Um, nothing crazy. I worked night shifts. So I was working 6 PM to 6 AM. Um, at that time, uh, it was probably around midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Um, had a had a call come in of a welfare check. Well, welfare check turned into a deceased individual. Um, As they often do. It was a it was a self inflicted wound. Um, so, and those are, I hate to say, common. Um, they're they happen more than they should and in the area that i was in right um so i dealt with that and uh nothing else really happened i mean there i had my times when i was uh when i would be six seven calls deep you know being the only guy on sure um there'd be times i'd be busy and there'd be times i'd be you know i'd be sitting there waiting for something to happen um now let me let me stop real quick when you're stacked up you say six or seven calls deep what kind of calls are you stacked up six or seven deep? What what do they run? <laughs> so uh, 
the town I was a policeman in, um, the Indian tribes were, was the most common there. We had a casino there. Um, uh, so a lot of that population was in, it was Indian culture. Um, so I could, I mean, domestics, hangings, um, is suicide most most of the time it was domestic or something along that line or some kind of some kind of fight going on or it it was it was nuts it was craziest craziest thing i've been a part because it could be it could be dead quiet for a week and then like i said it would it would snap and we would be we'd be running domestics all the time and it was crazy right so we could have you know, two or three domestics going on at once, and we have two cops out, mm. which is terrible. Right. But, um, but yeah, uh, the we had a casino in the town. We couldn't even touch the casino. Right. So That's if, tribal land, right? That's tribal yep, police. Yeah. Bureau of Indian Affairs. So yeah. we we could go out there if something was going on, and they requested us. Right. We could go out there, but if we slap, if we arrested somebody. We had to stay on BIA land. We couldn't leave. We had to wait for them to get there. And sometimes it could be, it could be an hour or it could be three hours. Wow. It, wow. It, BIA was stretched thin, really thin in my area. They had, I think, 11 square counties for like two or three guys. Wow. Which was a lot a lot but um so i dealt with that on friday um not a not a huge setback um saturday comes around a uh, storm a big uh, rainstorm was coming in that night uh it was about 11 o'clock whenever the storm started rolling in um the county um had a domestic on the fire and there was three county deputies on uh, they had a domestic on the most southern point of the county. So two of the deputies rolled that way, and one deputy stayed central, which was at um, in the middle of the county, just in case he needed to go help them or something else happened in the northern part of the county or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember it, they get there, and they're like, it wasn't, you know, it turned out not to be that big of a deal. Um, so. They get there. Well, as they get there, the other deputy that was by himself in the central centralized, he gets a domestic in the northern part of the county. Um, so my sergeant was actually at the at the at the station. He was off duty. He was taking care of some work. And so I said, hey, if he needs help, uh, he requests I'm going to go help him because he's by himself. You know, his nearest his nearest backup was like. Uh, almost an hour away yeah so he said he said that was fine well one of the other deputies um peels off of the call uh domestic call in the southern end of the county as the rainstorm is coming through and so he gets in the middle of this rainstorm and he's about 15 miles from where i was a cop in and uh he's rolling he and i remember he picks up his radio and says hey man i'm rolling code to the deputy in the northern end of the county on the other domestic but he can only go i think he was only going like 30 35 because it was it was downpour of rain um i mean i was in city limits and i 
I, it was crazy. I mean, I couldn't see very far at all. So he ends up having a vehicle accident. And I, this is what kind of kicked off, off the night for me. So he ended up having a wreck. And um, so I roll out there to him because I'm the nearest one to him at this point. And he hasn't um, even made it to the call. No, no. He's right. still he's probably sure. he's still probably 35, 40 miles away from the deputy that's in the northern part of the county on another domestic. Um, so I'm the closest person to him. So I called my sergeant and said, hey, he just had a wreck. I'm going to roll out there because I'm the nearest person to him. So I, I roll out there and I mean, the the highway was standing water. And I was driving a 2019 Ford Explorer, and that thing was hydroplaning like crazy. I mean, I couldn't go. I I think I was rolling like 25 mile an hour. Wow. You know, you know rolling just to try to get out there tuned to see if he's okay. Right. So I ended up getting out there. Um, thank God he was okay. Uh, didn't end up rolling his truck, just hydroplaned off. And he was a canine officer, and I remember telling me, he said, hey, man, check on my dog. And so I went down there and he was barking and wagging his tail. And I was like, he's OK. He's all right. And he's like, well, can you get him out for me? And I'm like, no, he nope. ain't biting me. I said, he's not biting nope. me. Yeah. I don't <laughs> so mess with no dog and no car. <clears throat> so thankfully, he was OK. So all of his um, supervisors got there and I left and went back to city limits. Well, I get back to city limits and. um it kicks off for me. I ended up having a um, an unattended death, um, which is just natural causes. Um, and then right after that, I had another suicide. Um, it was a it was a hanging. Or, uh, it was um, terrible because it was in a garage. It was down. It was still raining. Um, you know, families in and out. And whenever people see lights in a small town like this, it can be two o'clock in the morning and everybody will be asleep. And as soon as your lights go on, it's like, they're like moss just come out right. everywhere. So now people are coming out everywhere. Um, wondering all what's going on and speak to me. I'm still, I'm still the only guy on because my Sergeant has left at this time mm -hmm. to go home. And thankfully get a hold of somebody to come out there and help me with it because at that point I had one report I already had a report then I have another report and um the medical examiners you know they can be they can be 45 minutes away or they can be two and a half hours away um it's about this I mean that's that's how it that's how it is in this part of the country up here or this part of Oklahoma um you did say no man's land. Yeah. So, I mean, it can be, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's crazy. Um, and uh, your Emmy can be an hour away or they can be right down the road, you know, um, just, just like your backup. I mean, your backup can be five miles away or 55 miles away, depending right. on how big the county is. Well, um, so I dealt with that. Um, and that was Saturday. And uh, my girlfriend and I were working the same uh, shift schedule. He was working as a dispatcher from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. I was working 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So by the time I was getting home, she was getting off work and getting home, too. So it kind of worked out for us. 
Um, I remember she was kind of having a rough week, uh, r- rough week too. So uh, Sunday rolls around. I actually go into work a little bit early on Sunday. Um, and it Sunday just starts off right out the bat. Um, had a domestic, I had a domestic go on right at, uh, right at shift change. Um, then it was, then it was dumb report after dumb report. It felt like, I mean, everybody was wanting to call about the neighbor's dog barking or, you know, some loud music going on in the town somewhere or, uh, some high schoolers driving fast down the road. You know, it just seemed like every little thing on Sunday just, there's a bunch of little some, annoying stuff, yeah. Yeah, it just inspired right. somebody to say, hey, I'm going to call that in. They need to know about that. And uh, so Sunday ro- and uh, Sunday evening rolls around, uh, kind of dies off like it always does. Usually daytime hours, it stays pretty busy. Um, nighttime kind of dies down sometimes. Um, the town I was in, like I said, it, it differed. I can be busy one day. Then two, three days, everybody be stacked up with calls, day shift and night and graveyard shift. Um, so by the time the sun goes down on Sunday, um, ended up having another suicide. Um, wow. And it now you was, said suicides aren't uncommon, but now you're talking about what, three in, you know, one a day in three days? No. So they, they were caught. I hate saying it like that, but they're more common than they need to be in that area um yeah but we have a one a day for three days seems like it's high even if it, they're not uncommon was, i had definitely was feeling the black cloud over right. me um at this point my sergeant's kind of like looking at me he's like you need to go on days off and get rid of whatever you got because i'm bad luck <laughs> you got some you bad know. juju you're cursed yeah day day shift didn't have anything and then i come on shift and it's just you know it's just when it rains, it pours. Um, so I was definitely feeling the black cloud um, at that point. Um, so I dealt with that. My shift uh, ended up being pretty, pretty, uh, pretty slow after that, um, which is which is good. And now I'm going on to days off six uh, six a.m. Monday morning. I'm going on days off. Um, so I have uh monday and tuesday off so as i'm going home uh get home i was actually able to take my patrol unit home too so i get home and uh you know i get in the shower get some breakfast uh, my uh girlfriend gets home you know right at the same right at the same time as me pretty much um so i'm going to lay down and take a nap before i get myself and go around and go up to the station to the firehouse and see what all the guys are doing uh, seeing what's going on if we need to work on trucks or you know just do whatever um so i lay down to take my nap well about and uh like i was telling you earlier we were able to wear a volunteer department so we all carry radios um and so whenever a call comes in they can page us out on their console and it'll come out over our radios and right. it'll tone us out to let us know we got a call um so before I laid down and take, took my nap, you know, I turned my radio on just in case something happened. Well, about 8.30, um, about 8.30 in the morning, um, calls dropped for a ATV accident. 
Um, and now the firehouse, um, you know, you can have 15, 16 guys around, or you can have four, you know, just, right. they all have other jobs. You know, most of them worked in the oil field. Um, so you can have, yeah, like I said, you can have four guys around or you can have 16 guys around. Right. Um, well, at this time, it was one of those days nobody was around. Um, so I get to the firehouse and, for this call, and it is so me. You had, just, you had just gotten off shift, still yep. taking a nap, and then you get toned out uh, on a fire call for a, an ATV accident, and right. you only so have a couple hours. 6 p.m. So, Sunday yeah, night to 6 a.m. Monday morning. You go down for a nap 6 a.m. Monday morning and get immediately toned out for a atv accident yeah it's not a fun time i got about an hour and a half of sleep and like i said i had been through my emt course so i was ready and scheduled to take my national registry emt at this time um so all this is happening i just finished my emt um laid down to take that nap uh, about an hour and a half nap um so I get up to the station and one of the kids that I went to high school with, he had just got on the fire department. You know, he was new, he was new to the fire service, you know, eager to learn. He's a great kid. Um, so it is me, him and my, uh, he's a fire officer. He's a fire marshal for the fire department, but he's an officer level. So he, sure. um, he holds rank. So it is just us three. And um so we're we're sitting there and we uh we're waiting on we're trying to wait on one more guy uh nobody shows up so we uh my officer gives me the go ahead to roll out the door uh to respond to the accident with uh ems in front of us um so we get out there and i notice and like i said this is a small community everybody knows everybody you know Everybody knows me and my dad and my grandpa and my great grandpa. Like that's sure. how small this community is. Just everybody knows everybody in some way, you know, whether that is your job title or your, it was a farming community. Um, that's what my dad did. My dad is a full-time farmer and he, uh, we run commercial cattle. So he takes care of cattle, feeds cattle. We do all that. Um, so we, uh, we arrive on scene. It is a, uh, ATV accident. It's a rollover. Um, I noticed the family as we were pulling in and, uh, this family, I, uh, highly respected in our community. Great people. Um, I worked for this gentleman for about four to five years uh, for he private harvested. So he cut his own wheat um, on his land. I helped him out all the time. Um, growing up playing high school football, he announced um, my football games as long as I could remember. Um, just a great guy. But uh, upon arriving on scene, uh, noticed the family, my heart just, immediately sank um because you knew so the family you knew was the one in the wreck 
yeah, the gentleman that I worked for, um, right. I, I knew it was, I knew it was him and I knew it wasn't good. Um, I knew it wasn't good from tone out, from the tone out, from the dispatcher's voice. I knew it wasn't good. Right. Um, but when we arrived on scene and I saw the family, I mean, my, I tell you, my heart hit the floor. I was, I was like, and whenever we got out there, I was white as a ghost. My, uh, my uh, assistant fire chief noticed it. Um, I won't go into too many details about it, but. Um, but it's safe to the, say that because you're in a small town, these people are like your family. You know, you guys help each yeah. other with, with harvesting and, and cattle and farming. Well, you and, work and, for and the stuff dude. like that. You know, yeah. this I, is like I, family. I, I did. I worked for him. Uh, like I said, he, he was a, he was a big part of my high, of my high school. You know, um, he announced football games. He announced basketball games. He he did it all for the community. Yeah. So he was a pillar uh, of your community. Uh yeah, yeah. And his he whole was family a, was involved in this accident. Um, he it was him and his son. Um, the family arrived on scene shortly after us but pulling up there and seeing the son and his dad i knew who it was um i didn't have to guess and like i said it my heart sank um and like i said my girlfriend she's a dispatcher so she is now uh scanner land i mean y'all know what scanner land is everybody can hear everything right uh She's got an app on her phone because she, you know, she cares about me and she likes to know what's going on. Um, so she's listening to all this. And of course she's, I'm getting texts from her boss cause they're getting busy. Um, but we get there on scene. Um, it's exactly like I thought it was. It wasn't good at all. Um, the guys that were on the ambulance and with me on the fire truck, um, I would not, I, I would not doubt any one of those guys. They are the most knowledgeable and well put around guys that I have ever been around in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was, it was hard for me. Um, so what happened? It was, it, it yeah, was so what happened? hard for me, um, which is getting to, this is why I wanted to talk about it um, for the younger guys around my age in this profession. Um, because, Whenever we got done with the scene and air evac landed and uh, took control, uh, took the patient to the hospital in the city, um, I pretty much went to the fire back to the firehouse and I said I was done. Um, I was I was to a point where I was done and didn't want to have didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to air evac both both the father and son. Not, not the son. The son was, uh, the son was okay. He, he was on a separate ATV, and it oh, was okay. just his. It was just uh, his father who flipped, who, who wrecked his ATV. He flipped um, so it. The, wow. So the son was okay. If you don't um, mind me asking, Garrett, what happened to the to to his father? Your your uh, mentor, you know, gentleman um, you worked for. This gentleman, he um, unfortunately he passed away. Um. Uh. It was uh, really hard for me because, um, like I said, I got back to the firehouse and um, I I put my gear in my locker and I walked out the door. 
um, I went home and I was, I was done. You know, I didn't want to be, I, I was to the point where I didn't want to be a fireman anymore. I didn't want to be a cop anymore. And I damn sure didn't want to be an EMT. Um, it, it affected me for a long time. I, uh, I still, I still deal with it every once in a while, but it's gotten a lot better because of my, my support through that fire department and all those guys. Um, you know, clearly I'm, I'm still in the business. Um, I'm at a better law enforcement agency, um, where I'm getting more training, uh, more knowledge, and I'm getting ready to, uh, I had to leave, unfortunately leave my fire department. Um, but I am in the process of getting on another fire department locally here to where I am a law enforcement officer now. Um, so you, you had four dead bodies in three days mm -hmm. and the final one was a close friend of your family's. Yes. And I can imagine that that would make you want to hang it up, especially as a young man. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty close. I was, I, 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 I was really close to hanging it up. Um, I told my buddy who, my best friend, who is a captain there now, um, I told him, my chief and my assistant chief, I said, um, if a wreck comes in, uh, I don't want to go. Um, you know, if a wreck came in and I got to the state, you know, I'm still going to go to the station. Um, but if there's enough guys for the engine and the rescue, you know, I, I, I don't want to go. Yeah. Uh, that, I can that, understand that. That's just to the point that I had been. And, um, cause I tell you, I, I hated missing calls when, for the fire service, I hated missing calls. Um, but I got to a point where, uh, a tone out would come out and I'd just be like, you know, yeah, I don't want to go. Just because I didn't want to, you know, go back. And, so, know. in the psychological community and peer support area, there's this thing called glass half empty and half full. It seems like your glass got really full really quick, very fast. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you deal with that to, one, stay in what you're doing? And it's not necessarily getting over it because you never get over something like that. You just catalog it differently inside of your brain what did you do to help you push through those feelings and to push through that call to help other people so i um i i took a break i mean really i did i uh i took a break like i said i told my captain and my assistant and my fire chief that um I was taking a break and they supported me hundred percent. You know, I could go, I can still go to any of those guys for any problems. That's how great all of these guys are. Um, like I said, my dad, my family were a huge farming family. Um, I pretty much just took a break. I said that I wasn't going to go test for EMT because knowing that I have my EMT people are going to rely on me to show up a lot more to, to calls. And I, I just didn't want to do it at that point. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I ended up spending a lot more time out at the farm with my dad and my family. And um, I'm a big, uh, I'm into big time hunting. Um, I also work for a uh, outfitter uh, that we got waterfowl hunts and all that kind of stuff. I just uh, really hung up the fire suit. And, you know, I still went to, went to work as a police officer. I mean, clearly, um, but uh, I just kind of slowed down on the fire service. Um, got, got some help. Um, my girlfriend, she's, she helped me through a lot of it. Yeah. More than she, more than she probably knows, but uh, that's who I really relied on most at that time, um, and just kind of, kind of did my own thing, helping my family out, and uh, just took a break from the fire and EMS world. So you focused yeah. on being a police officer and really relied on that family support. Pretty much, pretty much, and that's that's what we always say having having people there for you, mm-hmm. and taking the time to step back and take a breath is, is really probably the most important part of making sure you don't implode. Yeah. You know, when, when I was involved in my critical incident, well, one of my critical incidents, but when I was involved in my shooting, that really, that really, I didn't know how it would affect me. And then I was lucky to have a support group of friends that were not only on the call with me and knew exactly what I was going through because they were kind of going through it themselves, but it was a different aspect because I was the only shooter and they were there, but they were such good friends that they checked on me, helped me through everything, yeah. talked to me, hung out with me. And we still have a tight bond to this day. And I, I don't think that I would be the same without them. So it's very imperative that people when they are involved in something that they have a, a strong support group and actually reach out and talk to people. And it's not asking for help, but it's just reaffirming that you have a strong support group there to help you through things to just bullshit and talk through things and mm-hmm. express how you're feeling. And it's, it's, it's the easiest form of therapy because they're your buddies and they know exactly what you're going through. And it, it really kind of, you know, getting into all the fire service and, uh, and the law enforcement, you know, my friend group, you know, I, I kind of lost touch with my friend group of my age kind of quick. Um, you know, I, I still have, um, a really, really good friend. He's been my friend for as long as I can, uh, as I can know. Um, he's not in the fire service. He's not in law enforcement and <laughs> he understands and I know I can go and talk to him about certain things and, and he'll understand. Um, but whenever, you know, I was in this and I was doing it all the time, whenever I would go out with my friends, you know, that would be all talking about college and partying and, and, you know, doing this and that. And I'm like, I work half the time. Um, you know, I, I probably haven't seen most of my uh, friends my age in probably over a year. Um, right. You know, that, that's I completely, just, that's completely normal, Garrett. I um, just kind of, they're, they're still yeah. there. We're all still friends. We all still touch base, but most of my friends are older, older gentlemen in law enforcement and the fire service. Um, and that's what I think a lot of, 
people starting out my age, um, you know, their friends, especially my friends, realize that, man, he's part of the community. You know, he can't do this. He can't do that. Um, you know, or it just doesn't interest those people. And they realize how much you work, whether you're a volunteer, you know, you probably have a full-time job and working as a firefighter at the same time. So, you know, if you're working your full-time job, whether wherever it may be, and you're in your response area, you know, you might have to go. Um, So I think that affects a lot of people my age, especially. So you're saying have a friend group that's more in line with the shit that you're going through. uh, And it doesn't matter the age, but have that support system in place so that when you deal with a tough call or a tough month or week or year, you have someone to lean on. Right. Right. And, and not everything's going to be, you know, Chuck had it all happen at once. It was one critical incident. Boom. You know, it doesn't always have to be that way. In Garrett's instance, it was several things just stacked up in a short period of time on him. And for some people it's, you know, tons of things stacking up on them over a decade or a career. But the bottom line is, it stacks up. And when it does, you need to have an outlet. And you know, you know, what's funny, Garrett, is that when we spoke earlier on the phone, I kind of, uh, I told you about when I was young on the job mm-hmm. and I had an incident that happened to me that, that fucking wrecked me. Um, I was on probation and I, it was a call that, that fucked with my brain more than I ever thought it could have been. And if I would have had a podcast or some group of guys talking about something that was in line with the shit that I was going through, it would have helped me tremendously. And all I had was my dad, who was a former law enforcement officer. And I dealt with something that, that I don't think anyone should have ever dealt with. I had someone die in my arms after being shot. And it was young, young man who was trying to come onto the same agency that I was involved in. And I, I saw that and I didn't have anybody to lean on because you're you're a, a boot you don't have friends the only friends right. you have are the ones going through the same shit but they don't all have the same experiences yeah and not, i not many boots nights. have that happened to them exactly and you know and i i was like what the fuck do i do and i didn't have anybody to go through that with and then i met a group of guys and then got reacquainted with years and years later with academy uh classmates that were friends of mine through the academy and we were like table classmates and like we we developed a bond and then we worked at the same area and then we started going through shit and i had still been carrying around that badge baggage along with other baggage and then i actually started talking to people that were going through shit and i gotta tell you that shit helped me out so much talking to people and because i haven't been involved in numerous critical incidents um before they were broadcasted all over fucking youtube and the news and shit and i gotta tell you having those people to lean on even if it's from old shit that they weren't even a part of but having them to talk to was so invaluable to me and i think that it's invaluable to everybody and i try to pass that along to anybody i talk to and i'm sure tom would agree that having having a support system regardless if something happened years ago and having them now is very important and to build those relationships because then you can kind of lean on things and lean on people and talk about past experiences and your past baggage because 
that shit builds up over time. And if you don't yeah. take care of it, it can no, and that's you. What, you know, the, the um, guys that have been either in law enforcement or the fire service for a long period of time, um, you know, they, they tell you, ah, you know, it's just another day in the fire department or another day in law enforcement, you know, just, you know, go deal with another one, you know, yep. you know, don't talk about it. If you talk about it, you're, you're a pussy. Um, yeah. I, that, I know that that's, that's bullshit. I mean, my, mm-hmm. every, every critical incident that happened that's fear. within my fire agency, we always had a debriefing after every critical incident um, with the, with our minister, um, with our, with our chief or assistant chief, our captain, and they would go around to each of us throughout the weeks and check on us and ask if we needed anything, if we needed to talk about anything. That's what grew me attached to those guys because it showed how much the older guys care about me and the younger guys on that department because they wanted to see us grow up in the fire service or law enforcement and be a part of our community and and be the best fireman that we could be or the law enforcement officer that I could be. And you know something, Tom, Tom just commented on it and he said, that's a cop out when people say, just suck it up, deal with it, press on. And you know what it it is because they don't want to handle that shit head on yep. when I was they're running the from Corps, pain and if they deal with it exactly. they're gonna have to deal with their own pain exactly when i was in the marine corps it was the same shit and that was over a decade ago that was fucking yeah. 14 years ago and when i was in the marine corps it was the ptsd was a fucking myth it was a fable it was a unicorn it shit didn't exist and we had guys who had been in the first push of fallujah and you know um in in iraq and and they had gone through so much shit and they've gone through like four fucking tours and they were just volunteering after volunteering after volunteering and those guys were so fucked up and in their mind they were fucked up and then they came over and then they started drinking and next thing you know they went from fucking staff sergeant all the way to lance corporal or pfc back up to corporal back down to lance corporal back down to pfc or fucking private and people were like, oh, he's just a shitbag. No, man, that dude's dealing with some shit more than you fucking know, because he's done five tours and you've done nothing. And, yeah. you know, it, it's it's or, or you've done one tour, but it was it was like an easy, easy tour. And not not to say all tours are easy. And, you know, and, and everything happens. Crazy shit happens on tours and, and, you know, and deployed and shit. But I had a buddy and if we would have just listened to him. Maybe he wouldn't took it, taken his life. And this this dude was the hardest motherfucker that I know. And he had done five fucking pumps to Iraq and Afghanistan. And this dude was labeled as a shitbag. And yeah. he ended up killing kind himself. Kind of a shitbag does five tours. Let me yeah. ask you that. He ended up he ended up fucking Asshole. killing himself. And and he 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 killed himself um by uh uh suicide by police. With a fucking uh, uh, an unloaded airsoft gun, because he couldn't do it himself, so he relied on the police to shoot and kill his ass. And when I got that news as a police officer working, I was fucking heartbroken because yeah. I too, when he cried to me, and he was drinking, we were all drinking together because I would hang out with this man when he was a, a corporal, 
and I was a corporal and we developed a bond and we were hung out and he would, he, he got one night, he got so fucked up. He drank everything in the house, everything. I'm talking about fifths upon fifths of Tangray gin, Jack Daniels and whatever the fuck we were drinking, probably sailor Jerry. Um, and this dude drank all of it. We woke up in the morning. He's passed out drunk. I don't know how he didn't fucking die. And he did this regularly. And then he got into involved some other shit and subsequently got other than honorable discharge because they couldn't dishonorably discharge him because he had so many honorable deployments under his belt and they knew he was dealing with shit. So like, well, we won't give you an honorable, we'll give you other than honorable, even though what happened, what caused you to get separated from the military should have been dishonorable, but because you've gone through everything, we'll give you other than honorable. And if you straighten your shit out, we'll give you an honorable after a couple of years, if you apply for it. And he was doing okay. And I was tracking him on, on um, Facebook and stuff, but really didn't reach out to him because I was trying to get on the, the job and, and everything. And that shit eats me up. And that I, I vowed to myself after that day, after learning that he took his own life by suicide by police and me being a police officer, I get home more than anything. Yeah, I, it I was like, you. It, it could have, it could have, if you lived in my hometown and I had to respond to his call and he fucking, he fucking pointed a gun at me. I would have to you take a shot. It. But at the same token, like how fucked up, how fucked up is that? He, he was destroyed mentally on the yeah. inside. He was right. eating himself alive. And if we would have just taken the time out to help him and not taken a fucking cop out and well, he's just a fucking shit bag. And I never once believed he was a shitbag. I was like, no, that motherfucker's deal with some shit. He's gone through more than anything here, more than our fucking, um, probably not more. I mean, he's, he'd been in as many pumps as our gunny, but I mean, how much shit was he involved in? Because he wasn't with us the whole time. He was involved in another unit in the invasion. And he had dealt with a lot of crazy shit. And we had a yeah. lot of crazy motherfuckers that were the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But it was because yeah. they were dealing with some crazy shit. And they they weren't... Um, they were dealing with PTSD and no one wanted to, to talk about that. And, and you know what, that's on all of us that, that came in contact with this, this gentleman. And I'm not going to say his name due to the fact of privacy and his family and, and everybody else. And I don't know who's listening, but no, I don't say his name. I'm not going to say his name, but we, we took that blame on ourselves because none of us ever fucking uh, took, took that to heart and we didn't get him help. And, you know, and it was it was different than the the one guy we had to put on suicide watch and that we made sure he was all our buddy. And he, we, we were like, OK, well, this is playing his day. He just wants help. We got him help. And he was fine. No, this motherfucker was trying to deal with it on his own. Couldn't get the help and was shunned by everybody. And that's on all of us. And but you, you know, know what? Bullshit, Chuck, the hardest part is, is that he made it done. He might have done it anyway. Yeah. The problem but, is, is you'll we never take the cop out. No. But that, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying it was or wasn't a cop out. I wasn't there. I'm just saying one of the hardest parts is you'll never know. And with Garrett, at least we know that you reached out. You took these three days of shit. You considered hanging it up, which, hey, you know what? If that's the healthy thing to do, that's the healthy thing to do. You just fucking hang it up. But that was had, that was probably had, the best decision I did at that time. Because. I am. Uh, I have a. I had a uh, relative that was a uh, detective that I know of, and then my uh, my mom's grandfather was in the fire service for a very short time. So as far as I know, I'm the only person in my uh, 
in my family, other than my uncle served in the military, but other than that, I'm the only one that I know of that was actually invested in the fire service and in law right. enforcement. Right. And like Chuck has so his brother, it, I have mine. You, it, you had it, yourself. It kind of, um, and being in that small rural town, you know, my brother, he was in high school, um, same high school I went to, um, which was where I was a fireman at. Um, you know, my mom, and whenever something happened in the town, everybody knew about it. Right. You know, it didn't take long at all for news to get around that some sort of an incident happened. Um, in my in the town I was a firefighter in, um, my town actually had a townwide alarm. So every time the fire department got toned out between, I think, 7 a.m. and like 9 p.m., we had an alarm behind our firehouse that would that would sound that way the town knew, hey, people are going to the fire station, fire trucks are going this way or that way, you know, basically just be aware is yeah. what it was. And that's been around in the town for as long as I, I can remember. So it's kind of, you know, a set thing in my town. Um, yeah. But it was crazy because my, you know, my mom and dad, they would kind of see how it would affect me some days. You know, I'm not a quiet person. I love to talk to people. I love to interact with people. Um, I'm not a quiet person. Yeah, sometimes, you know, like I said, it would be, man, I just want to go lay down in my bed and watch Hulu or Netflix or, you know, just be alone. Um, and my mom and dad saw how it affected me. My dad um, actually pulled me aside and talked to me. And that's when I figured out, I was like, hey, we got to, I got to get this thing by the horns. Yep. Because good on I, them for knowing you well enough to to see that. And they they full they fully did my uh and like i said and i'll i've said it a hundred times and i'll say it a hundred more times the guys at the firehouse these those are the best guys that i've known yeah. um i can i can call any of them at any time of day or night with any kind of problem and i know that they will help me in some sort of way well that's garrett, what's important garrett having those kinds of people there for you and i garrett, know i I'm definitely not the best fireman ever. I'm definitely not the best cop. I'm never going to be one of the best. You know, I, I don't put myself ahead of anybody. You know, I'm at the bottom of the food chain. I love learning. I love learning, you know, everything about the fire service, everything about law enforcement. And that's what, that's what I like. That's what I like about my coworkers now, where I'm a law enforcement officer at is because my lieutenant will literally, he will literally, we will get together and we will talk yeah. and we'll talk about case law. We'll talk about this and talk about that based on, you know, actual scenarios that he's been a part of. That way he is actually helping us, you know, further our thought process into whatever we might be dealing with. Um, Garrett, yeah. I got a quick question for you. Yes, sir. If there's one thing as we close out, because uh, it's getting to that time. Is there one thing that you can tell to other people that are young like you that can help them deal with these stressful situations? Just one thing. Basically, the, the one thing that I could think of right now is it's okay to ask for help. 
and it is okay to take a break. You know, whether that break is a month, two months, three months, even a year, a break is okay. And nobody is going to think down on you for getting help. Your words never spoken. Well, Garrett, we thank you for coming on. And we always give our guests a chance to dedicate their episode to a fallen firefighter or police officer um, or veteran. And uh, do you have somebody you'd like to dedicate your episode to? Um, I do. Uh, I'll just say his first name. He was a fireman, a great, great, great guy. His name was Josh. Um, I would, uh, yeah, I'd like to dedicate it to him. Okay. And Josh has passed away. Yes. Okay. Unfortunately. Well, Josh, Josh, rest easy, brother. We got it from here. Um, Chuck, do you have anything to take us out? Yeah. So we have, uh, some whoopee hoodies. We do. And some FAFO patches in a 40 we millimeter. Well, um, Chuck stout. does. I haven't gotten mine yet. <laughs> Relax. Relax. They had to go from China to LA and now from LA to Idaho. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're going to be, yours is going to be customized. Um, I'm not worried. I know. I know where you live. I'll come get it if I want to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll come down here. Okay. <laughs> so, no, yeah, hell no. Have... I'm not coming back to California just for a hoodie. <laughs> yeah. We have Whoopi hoodies. If you want to get some while they last, great go yeah. for it i hope they're still available um yeah. um i'm gonna do a promotion here on a and you know prior to this so if you guys are listening this is a week after our last episode um where i was explaining that they were going to be available and if you sleep on it that's on you yep. i hope you guys get some they're already they up. Are awesome. they're already there they might actually be gone by the time you hear this episode maybe yeah, but you can still well, go and get some t-shirts, some patches, some stickers, and things yep. like that. Um also us supports our podcast. Yeah, check out check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. Um yeah, right. you can go and get the links on our Facebook and Instagram page. Click the link in the bio and you can get our YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook soon to be TikTok on there. Um, as soon as I get the link. So that will all be available, hopefully. Um, TikTok will be available, so you can click the link in our bio for the TikTok when this episode airs. But uh, go ahead, give us a follow on all of those. Um, give us some comments. If you want to be featured on the show, if you have a story you believe that could be uh, beneficial to other people, and or you just want to talk about it and you're in first response, you're a doctor, you're a firefighter, you're a nurse, you're an EMT, you're a paramedic, you're military, it doesn't matter. Give us a, a shout out. Um, give us an email. Uh, booking.warstories at gmail.com that again yep. is booking.warstories at gmail.com if you forget that you can always click the link in the bio on instagram and facebook and you can go to booking.warstories at gmail.com <laughs> right click that link and it will take you straight to um uh, a prompt to email and for some reason it doesn't you can just copy and paste. Again, that's booking.warstories at gmail.com. If you have other questions, comments, or concerns, you can email there, or you can also go to mailbag at warstories at Mailbag.warstories at gmail.com. Mailbag. And I'll yeah, tell you yeah. right, if you DM me, because I've had somebody from corrections DM me and say, oh, you're looking for, I've, I've worked in corrections. And I said, cool, email Chuck at booking.warstories at gmail.com. So that's, that's going to be the answer. <laughs> again, that is booking dot war stories at gmail.com can you tell we've had people be confused about where they're supposed to email (laughs) you can also dm instagram and i will get you straight and i will tell you click the link in the email me if you can't 
It's booking.warstories at gmail.com. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody. Garrett, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. And until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it.